Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here tonight. We are in Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning Nehemiah chapter 3. Uh, again, it would be nice to say we're going to finish this tonight, but it may be several weeks, uh, and I, it's going to be more than one week. But Nehemiah chapter 3, what you have on your, in your notebooks on page 15 you're going to have the beginning of this, the verses, all the verses are written out in English Standard Version, beginning on page 15, and you're going to have this map, this whole map, uh, it's broken down as you read through it, the, for example, I'll begin in chapter 3, verse 1, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate, now, where's the sheep gate? They consecrated it, you know, that they sanctified it, put blood on it, you know, as they would make it holy, because it's something the priests are going to use, and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred. What's the Tower of Hundred? And what does a hundred refer to? As far as the Tower of Hananiel, or Hananel. Okay, so there's three gates that are mentioned. We've got to talk about that now. You see that's in red, and right here... I've got it in red. Sheep gate, Tower of Meha, or a hundred, Tower of Han Hananiel. And that's what the little bit that I've got here on this copied tonight. I've got that top half copied, uh, but it's in black and white, so it's not color-coordinated as you see it is in here. Uh, then as the, you turn the page, and we'll read more of that, and then you can see as I read down through on page 16, you're going to go through, and all those spots that are red are mentioned over there. Uh, and again, the, uh, continuing down to the, the southeast side, all the way down to the Pool of Siloam. Coming down here, as mentioned, that's verses 11 through 14 on page 17. Uh, and then page 19, we're going to turn the corner and go up, and all the locations on the east side, in the, looking into the Kidron Valley, are mentioned, including this place that is the terraces that have tumbled down that's not going to be rebuilt. That's on page 19. And again, all those places that are in red are, are mentioned. And so we got chapter 2. It mentioned a few of those places in chapter 2. It doesn't always mention the same places again. It adds a few. Uh, and then if you go on to page 21, then you've got this last part up here. And they turn the corner, and it ends at the sheep gate. And the wall is going to be divided up. So the red letters is identifying the spots, the locations on Nehemiah's city. Now you go back to the 1800s, early 1900s, this was, they, they had walls way out here, they're guessing, trying to, you know, they saw the walls of Jerusalem today, and they just assumed must be the same. Well, archaeology's revealed this whole western part that Hezekiah had built was tore down by the Babylonians. They're not even going to take and rebuild it. It's going to be a smaller city. It's going to be a mile and a half around this city. Even like we talked about, the terraces that had collapsed, they're not going to rebuild those. They're just getting some kind of protection for the city uh, that has been being restored. Now, if you look on page 22, you can see this exact map, the whole thing, all in red. And those are all the locations. Uh, this could be a very boring chapter, and I apologize. Uh, you like, I came to Bible study, and all he did was look at maps and name people. It's like, I'm sorry. It's like... Uh, you want a spiritual message? Nehemiah was faithful to God. He trusted God's promises, and he went to work and motivated people. He's a great leader, had some conflict. He wouldn't fall into a political trap and got the job done in 52 days. Be like Nehemiah. Okay, there's your spiritual message. Now, the next page, page 23, is the exact same verses once again, except now it's, in this chapter it's going to tell you, and we're going to begin reading, like it, we just read verse 1, look up there at the sheep gate, Eliashib and the priest, they built from the sheep gate past the tower of a hundred all the way to the tower of Haniel. And now you've got in green, you've got who was building that section of the wall. And then the men of Jericho are going to build from the next portion, from the tower of Haniel to probably the middle of that section because uh, Zakur, and that's going to be the name of an individual, and it's going to say the, the son of so-and-so, so he's identified, is going to build the rest of the wall up to the fish gate. And then the sons of Hashanim are going to build and finish the fish gate. 
and then they're going to go around. Now, some of these places are going to be clearly identifiable. You're going to be able to locate where they're talking about. Some, you don't know where they're at. You just know that this place is, okay, this is located, this is located, so these two must be in between here and here. And so some of this stuff is speculation. Uh, And the names, we don't have exact measurements, but if you follow it in order, some of those guys match up with an actual site that we can identify. That means the other people had to be working somewhere between there. It goes in order. And again, you've got about 40 sections being built. This wall is going to be built in 52 days. It's, it's, uh, some of it's going to go kind of fast. If you look down here at this part, right here, this part, you don't have a lot of people working there. Look at that. It's at, right north of the Pool of Siloam, right here. I'm trying to read the words there. Uh, boy, uh, Hanan, Hanan, uh, the inhabitants of Z- Zankar. Uh, they, see, they, they built quite a bit. But again, that wall was inside the wall that Hezekiah expanded, so, and it wasn't necessary to destroy it. And so that's going to go a lot faster uh, compared to, especially over here, things are going to slow down as you see how the names get compacted coming over here because they're building up on top of a hill or a, you know, a, a steep drop-off, and so they're not getting as much work done, plus they've got a lot of obstacles. Anyway, that kind of keeps that in mind, and... Uh, you know, I can read through that for you, and we'll refer to it. But instead of just reading through it and boring you, you've got an image of it right there. So on page 22, that's the locations that are mentioned in chapter 3. And page 923 is the builders that are spaced out in between. So you actually have those two maps. I've got the builders are this one right here. I'll set it right here for a brief moment. Was that going to work? At some point, this is going to turn into a disaster, and my maps are going to start collapsing. So the good news is we'll have it on video, and I could put it on a bloopers reel and get a bunch of viral hits, probably more than any of my Bible teaching. It's just the collapsing of the maps. like, oh, you've got to watch this video. Uh, don't bother about the Bible teaching, but it was really funny when all the maps fell over. Anyway, there's that other map. Okay. Now, I'm going to read through a few verses. Uh, do not be deceived. The title of the notes tonight that I handed out Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32. If you look on page 4 of the back, you see right there, we stop at verse 5, and we just have 3, 6, 3, 7, 3, 8, 3, 9, and there's actually two more pages of, of this look right here. So uh, we're going to be basically Nehemiah chapter one or chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, along with the book here. So I'm going to read, well, I'll just go ahead and read because i got my Bible laying here. I'll read Nehemiah chapter 3 in the NIV, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to start bouncing back and forth between the notebook and the notes I handed out and show you some things that you may find interesting. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, this is after Nehemiah had gone through the night journey and gone out and kind of made some plans. Uh, He he sees the damage, and now he begins a speech at the end of chapter 2 that addresses this. Here's what we're going to do rise up and work and the people got excited they're going to get involved uh, but he's going to get some blowback from these the opposition Samaria the province the satrap here is Sanballat and he's been pushing in and he has occupation in Jerusalem from here from the uh, trans Euphrates over here in Ammon you've got a uh, Tobias and someone that really goes under the radar just in, uh, in our he's mentioned here in the book and no one really knows where to put him except if you just read it and do some research, Geshem, the Arab. And the Arabs are down here. You can see uh, on this map, the the Satrap, or the province of Arabia, is there. That's Geshem's territory. This is Samaria, Sanballat's territory, Trans-Euphrates, and this is little Judah right here. This Geshem has pushed up into... uh, the, the Edomites have gone up into southern Jordan, or southern Judah, uh, and they're being pressed up into here, or at least occupied by Geshem, the uh, Arabian, the Arab. In fact, he's probably got right here at Lachish, he probably has his, a palace that he occupies in Lachish, just outside the borders of Judea. That's going to be important because we're going to, real quickly in verse 5, you're going to meet the men from Tekoa. 
Tekoa, if we have Jerusalem, you can see Jerusalem on this map. If you go two miles south, you're in Bethlehem. Five more miles south, you're in a place called Tekoa. And if you look right here, five miles south, or that far south, you're right here, you're moving into Idumea, or you're right on the border of Judah. Um, which means, I'm looking here at this map, here we go. Tekoa, Tekoa, Tekoa. Ah, there it is, right here. Here you go. There, that's nice. See right there? Geshem, the Arab, is pushing up into here. And this is the boundary. And, and last week, Nehemiah ended by saying, you have no territorial claims. You have no judicial claims. You have no historical claims. This is our territory according to history, according to Artaxerxes, according to the promises of God. We've got the paperwork. And that's the boundary. Tekoa is there, but some of the men are living in Jerusalem, which means they're going to have an attitude different than some of the others because Geshem is pushing pressure right here. So it's like, we're going to go with Nehemiah. Yeah, but you've got to answer to Geshem. How important is Geshem? That's going to be an issue that's going to come up here tonight. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Elisha, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananiel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Jakar, son of Emery, built the next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hashina, right here, the fish gate, uh, I'm looking right, Men of Jericho, and the fish gate right here, sons of Hashina. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Very interesting. Beams, uh, doors, bolts, and bars, and they're all, they all have a meaning. Uh, and the fish gate, and this fish gate is going to come up later on in the book of Nehemiah. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bena, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. So the men of Tekoa are going to build... Uh, in this area, men of Tekoa, there it is, Tekoites, right here before you get to this gate right here, uh, the old gate or gate of Yashana. Uh, the, the middle class apparently is working, but the nobles are like, uh-uh, we ain't going to do it. And th- we can make up different reasons why, but maybe one of the key reasons, I just said it, it's like uh, they've got property there in Tekoa, and it's about to be overrun or it's being occupied, it's being manipulated uh, Geshem is putting up, you know, come and goes and quick trips and, and Casey, st- you know, whatever, little grocery stores. And he's starting to take over the community. And if they don't cooperate, they're not going to get to be part of the new, new age. So it says, are you going to go with Nehemiah or are you going to go with Geshem? Now, we know Nehemiah is walking the promises of God. But Geshem, I mean, look at his territory. He, he's got all this and he's moving north. He's a power to be reckoned with at that time in history. I mean, I know what I would do. I would go with Nehemiah. But would I if it was today? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. It's like, well, I would go with Nehemiah. Yeah, you're like 2,500 years past, and you can, you can see the history. What are you going to do today? That would be the question. Okay. So the men of Tekoa would not work, and that is uh, verse 5. And then verse 6, we'll pick that up probably next week. The Geshem Gate was repaired by uh, Joyada, and we'll go on with some of that. Okay, now. In your notes, uh, I want to look, first of all, in the booklet. In the booklet on page 15, uh, what I did on this first uh, map, little picture, that's a picture on the top of page 15. I'm standing on the Mount of Olives looking over the Kidron Valley, taking a picture of this wall right here. And you can see the eastern gate. I've got it marked there, the eastern gate today. That eastern gate is built right on top of this eastern gate right here. Now, this wall that goes up right here is 
is no longer there. In fact, you can see I've got a little white line. It's a little dotted line, a little white line. That's buried in the ground. It's gone. There's a gate there called the Mifkad Gate. Okay, I'm going to take this right here. Here we go, another maneuver. And now you can see this gate right here. That gate is destroyed and buried with the Roman destruction. And this wall turned and met the corner tower right here, which is right by the east gate. Again, I'm going to show you some things. The east gate is underground today with the modern, the 1500 eastern gate built on top of it. They will not let you excavate it because, well, it'll prove the Jewish temple was there. It'll prove a lot of things. So they won't, the, the Muslims will not let it be occupied. Now, we already talked about it before. Up here, out on the northern side up here, the uh, Damascus Gate was also today, you see the Damascus Gate was built in the 1500s by Suleiman the Magnificent and gave orders to build around it. But they have excavated down. And you can go underneath that gate, the modern gate from the 1500s, if you want to call it modern. You can go down and see 1,500 years during the times of Herod Agrippa and Herod Agrippa II. You can see the, 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 the road. You can see the gates from their, 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 the Herodian gate that was there, the, the Damascus gate. And so you can go down there and see. The, I've got pictures of it. You can see the, in one of the stones in the, in the pavement, you can see a Roman game carved out that the soldiers would play some kind of a dice game while they're there guarding the gate. Now, that is true. You can go under the Damascus gate, excavate down, and find the first century Damascus gate. You can do that here. You can tear this eastern gate down and go down and find a gate. But you can't. They won't let you. So that just so you see, that wall is this black line right here in that eastern gate. Today's wall continues all the way up here. And Herod expanded this temple mount. This is the temple mount of Solomon. It's 500 cubits by 500 cubits square. The Hasmoneans are going to expand it a little bit further south. Then Herod is going to expand it further south, further west, and further north. And that's the Temple Mound you see today. So this western wall right here is buried. They used they put dirt up against it and buried it and built on top. In fact, you can see these stones right here. You can see the top stones of this wall today on the Temple Mound. And once it was identified by Lean Rittmeyer, the Muslims came up and tried to concrete up over the top so you couldn't see them very good as far as the, the face of the stones, which you can see a little bit of the face for. They put concrete up. Oh, there's nothing to see here. Yeah, there is. Solomon's wall of his temple, nonetheless. So, but you see these w- gates here. Now, going across, you can't see this. This is, this is all buried today. This wall is buried today. It's beat by Herod 2,000 years ago. But if it stood today... You can see the eastern gate right here, and you can see a picture of it. And then the corner tower would have been right there where it says corner tower. See, I've got it drawn in red right here. and I've got it drawn there, a little picture of it. And then I draw a line straight across, and you'd, get, you'd, have, you'd assume there's going to be a prison gate, a sheep gate, the Tower of Meh, uh, Mia, or the Tower of 100, and the Tower of Hanil right here on this corner. You cannot see any of these things. This is speculation. Except you can see the stones of this corner tower. I'll show them to you here in a moment. You can see the stones. And soon as they were identified, guess what? I was so excited. I was reading some books in 2010. After I'd been there in 2007, I was reading, okay, I'm going to get a picture because I walked right by it. There's, there's the Old Testament stones of this tower you can see in the base of the wall. I walked right by it. No one even said anything about it. So I'm going to go up here, fly in, go up here, go up by the Eastern Gate, go up there and take a pit. It's like, what the heck? Who put all this concrete here? There's a bunch of garbage. There's wires and straps and concrete. Just, it's like, well, I can't see anything. Oh, I can't see anything. Uh, and again, I'll tell you more of that later. But you can see those stones right there. So you can actually see that corner where that corner used to be. And Lean Rittmeyer got some good pictures of it because he took this right here from this corner right here where they could see Herod's 
or Solomon's Western Wall that was built 950 B.C. They could see the top of it. He goes, well, if it's actually 500 cubits square, if I find this corner and measure 500 cubits there, I should be pretty close. And guess where it ended up? Right there on those stones. And then he realized, I have found this wall. Now, you can't see it. You can see this. And you can see a little bit of carving in the bedrock here. But remember, Jerusalem's invaded from the north. Not from the Kidron Valley up, not from the Central Valley up, not from the Hinnom Valley up. They're invaded from the north. So you look, look at these are gates. All the way around you get gates coming in and out of the city. The water gate, the fountain gate. This is the water gate, the fountain gate. You got all these gates, the horse gate. But look right up here. You got all, the, all this fortification. Uh, and that was totally destroyed by the Babylonians. Uh, they're going to rebuild the fortification. But when Herod comes in, this will make sense, Herod's going to expand this further north. And no longer is going to need the Tower of Haniel as a power force right here on the highest part of the temple, uh, you know, as a lookout and as, as a fortress. It's going to be moved up here. And do you know, remember what's located right here on the corner in Jesus' day or in the New Testament? It's Fort Antonia. It's the same thing. They just moved it up here and built it on the bedrock right here, the same fortress, or not the same fortress, but another fortress, the same purpose. So again... That's, this is all fortification right here, except the priests have to use this to bring the sheep in for the temple. And that's what you can see going across the north. I just drew those. That's to give you an image or a speculation of what that would have looked like. Uh, turn uh, to page 18. Um, I'm looking at this map, the, not map, this picture right here. And once again, I'm standing on the Mount of Olives, and I would be standing here looking this direction. And so the dung gate is right here. And so the line that's closest to you or to the bottom of the page would be this eastern line going up here. And the western wall would be this one on the other side going up this way. Now, that is pretty accurate on this line, right? This is pretty accurate especially when you can see where it goes right by David's palace, right on top. In fact, right on top of the, where it says David's palace, then you're going to have that step stone structure, those stones right there. There's a little, little uh, sun shield right there. They've got a little, little tarp set up because they're doing excavation there when I took the picture. But that, the, they've actually got, Nehemiah's stones are right up there. They're actually there. We know it was, if it was Azariah, according to our little chart, put those stones right there. You can still see those stones that were set. So this line is pretty close right here. Over here, I'm just kind of trying to give you an image of what it would have looked like. It's not like if you're going to go over and don't use this to rebuild Nehemiah's wall, you're not going to be right. Okay, turn the page. Um, we don't need verse page 20, page 22. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on page 24 we're going to get to. Ah, page 25 is where we want to be. They built the sheep gate. Now, what, are you guys, are you still with me? Okay, now, you see that little dot, the picture on page 25, the little dotted line. What would happen if I did this? You're going to have this 500 by 500 cubic square, that's Solomon's Temple Mount. You can see the temple's drawn in there. But then you're going to have a bigger square going around it, going, uh, a rectangle going up here. Herod's expansion, probably too far. Coming over here, expanded on the west and expanded on the south. This is Herod's expansion right there. So when Herod expanded here, he had to fill it all in, just had to expand the pavement. So he's going to bury the... Uh, Going across, there's the turquoise, the yellow, the red, the blue, the green towers. Those towers right here are going to be buried. And there's the Tower of Haniel right here. Now he's going to go up here, and right up here on the bedrock, he's going to build Fort Antonia right there. And all this is going to be buried or eliminated. All right. So, I'm going to read through page 25. The sheep gate is mentioned in Nehemiah 3.1. Uh, 
3.32 as they completed, and again 12.39, uh, chapter 12, verse 39, because when they, you see over here on this map, when they do the final dedication, uh, Ezra's going to march, Nehemiah's going to go this way, come in the water gate and come up here, Ezra's going to go out the valley gate, go up here, go past the sheep gate, and right here at this, the prison gate is going to come in, and they're going to meet right here in the temple courts. So it will be mentioned again, that sheep gate. Uh, it, is through, it was through this gate, the sheep and animals were brought by the priest for sacrifice, John, verse, John, the New Testament book of John, chapter 5, verse 2, it says the sheep gate. Uh, it mentions the gate right up here. Now, this was the sheep gate of Nehemiah's time, but somewhere in this northern wall is the sheep gate of the New Testament. Because in John 5, 2, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. And that, that's the Pool of Bethesda, is located right here. It's got one, two, three, four pillared sidewalks going around and a fifth one going right down the middle, which is a dam. There's a spring right here that's always been there. Go back to the Old Testament, go back to Melchizedek. It, it sprung up water. They eventually built a dam during the Hasmonean time to hold the water and let it flow in a controlled sense into here, which became a mikvah, which I got some pictures in the book. It looks just like the Pool of Siloam, the steps going down. If you get down in there, they're excavated. That's where the, the Jesus healed the lame man on the, on, the, on the Sabbath. But anyway, John assumes everybody knows where this is at, the Sheep Gate, but he says there is near that the Pool of Bethesda. So, the sheep gate was here. Um, John would not be referring to Nehemiah's, okay, that whole thing. Herod's extension in 1911 B.C. The pool of Bethesda was previously called the sheep pool. You go in the Old Testament, it's called the sheep pool. And I've got pictures of it here in the book. The Jewish Mishnah was written around 200 A.D. So now, here we go. The, 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 the Jerusalem's destroyed in 70 A.D. The Jews scatter, and they realize they've got these oral traditions. They've had this teaching system, but they decide they've got to write down, not the Scriptures, but they've got to write down the commentaries. They've got their interpretations of the Scriptures. They could all get together and study, but now that we're all scattered, we've got to get this in written form. So they write in 200 A.D., the Mishnah which is a collection of the rabbinic teachings through all the previous years. Now, this would have been stuff that Paul would have been taught. He would have known it orally. He would have had it memorized. They would have had some writings, of course. But they're going to write the Mishnah, which is a collection of all these writings, so huge volumes, a huge several volumes in it. Uh, the Mishnah records in what is called Midat 1-3 that there were five gates that led into the temple. Now, the temple's been gone for 200 years, but they've been teaching this. There were five. The double gate, now if you're still with me on this, the double gate is right here. We can see that. In fact, you can still walk in it today, except it's been blocked off by the crusaders, and it's now turned into a mosque. Anything that the Muslims find, they turn it to a mosque, and you can't go in there. But you can. I've seen pictures of it. You can still see the, the, the ceiling, the arch ceiling with the floral designs and the patterns. No animals, no people cut in it or designed in it in the stonework, but there's floral. And you can c walk up the steps that lead up to the Temple Mount right here. In fact, we, I've taken pictures, taken pictures down the tunnel there. And, of course, I thought, you know, what would happen if I just ran down there and took some pictures and ran back out? And then I got scared. And so... I'd never been down there. But that, that was one of the double gates. The triple gate, which is right here, which is possibly the beautiful gate. Now, again, I don't want to, you know, everybody wants to say the beautiful gate is over here on the, where the temple stood and the temple courts right here. Uh, that would make sense, but that's, every, that's a place of worship. And everybody's going there worshiping and stuff. If you sat here and collected alms, everybody's going up these ceremonial stairs going in. It'd be like sitting at the front of high V or something. Everybody's going in the store. Anyway, that's the beautiful gate, and I've got a picture of some of the carvings on the stone, just a little bit of the, what's left of that from the Herodian stone. Just got one stone left because the other one was knocked off when the Romans destroyed it. You can see the carvings there. That's the second one. The Kiponus gate, which is on the west side over here, um, it's used for the public to enter the temple courts. It's called today Barclays Gate. All you can see today is the lintel. 
There's just the lintel. It's, it's no longer used as blocks yet, but you can see the, the big stone that went across the lintel of it. Uh, the east gate, which we've already talked about, which is right, would be right about here, going into the city. And then, are you ready? Five, the Tadi gate. There was a Tadi gate. T-A-D-I. Now, I hope you're okay. It was on the north side, but it was not used by the public. Okay. Mishnah 1, 3, and I've got that all written down right there, what I just referred to, the five gates of the temple, da, da, da. The Tadi on the north, which wasn't used. Okay. Now, turn the page. Um... Oh, this is going to be more than you care about, but I do care. Uh, page 26, the sheep gate in Nehemiah 3.1 from the BibleHub.com. There's your Hebrew text. You read it from the right to the left. And rose up Eliashib, the priest, high with his brothers, the priest, and built gates, the sheep. Now, the sheep gate right there. In Nehemiah 3, 1, the sheep in sheep gate is the Hebrew. Again, I'm working on it right now with, with Tyler, and uh, I think Tyler could identify a few of those letters. Uh, one's an Aleph and one's uh, 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 a He. Tyler would be proud of that, okay? But nonetheless, it's Hashan, which is used 78 times and translated flock or sheep. And there's the word Hashan. The word sheep or lamb is also written in Hebrew in the Old Testament as this form, which is pronounced telel, tela, T-E-L-A. T-E-L-A is the word for sheep, pronounced in, in the Hebrew. Uh, you've got the T, you've got the lamid, the L, and then you've got this elif, which is silent. So it'd be the, the T and the L. And they've got to apply the vowels. T and L. Okay, are you with me? Hebrew is only consonants. And then you've got to come by and put like points. If, if it's going to be an eh sound or an ah sound or an o oh sound, you put dots or lines around. But you go back to David's day, you just had consonants. Eventually when they started writing it, they started putting dot, vowel points so we'd all say the word the same way. Just imagine speaking the English language and all you could say were the consonants. You could do it and we'd all get used to it. But eventually it'd be like, Someone's saying ah, someone's saying ah, someone's saying o oh, after the consonant. So they put vowel points in it. But all we're talking about right here is the TL, telegate, and the lamid. It says it is possible that the telegate became the toddy gate through language translations because it's going to go from Hebrew, it's going to go into Aramaic, it's going to end up in Greek. Uh, through language translation, dialects, and various pronunciations, because even if, you, if, you, even if we all do it, I, I do it, even if I say the T-L sound, it may come out more of a T-D sound the way I pronounce it, especially if I'm a foreigner. And so when someone writes down the way it sounds, all of a sudden T-L is going to become T-D. And that's, it shows you right here. Lean Rittmeyer supports this suggestion in his book, Jerusalem in the Time of Nehemiah, when he points out this idea that was present, presented by Osher Kaufman in his book, The Temple Mound, Where is the Holy of Holies? I think I spelled the mound wrong there. Okay. Uh, the pronunciation replacement for the Lamid, the L on page 227, with the D, and I haven't learned the D letter yet in Tyler's Hebrew class, seems to be supported by the fact that Toddy is not a word with any meaning in Hebrew or Aramaic. This word does not exist in Hebrew or Aramaic. So if they called it the toddy gate, it means, just like it does in English, nothing. But if it was a corruption of the, the tela or the sheep gate, it makes complete sense. Okay. In an answer to a blog comment on his blog site, Lean Rittmeyer says the toddy gate may have been the rebuilt sheep gate of Nehemiah chapter 3. Toddy is probably a corruption of tali, which means a lamb. And there's a footnote or a reference there. According to the Mishnah, this toddy gate did not have a lintel. When they write about it in the Mishnah, it says this was a different gate. It did not have a lintel going across the top. 
Toddy is probably a, a, a lintel like the other gates, but included two slabs of stone leaning against each other, uh, forming a, an upside-down V. So there's like just two slabs leaning like this, and there's that reference right there. I've got it written out for you. We hear these words repeated from the Torah. In the north, northern wall of the uh, Temple Mount was the Toddy Gate. This gate was unique in the, that its lintel was not flat, but considered of two stones. Now, concerning this toddy gate of the temple, the Temple Institute writes more detail concerning the underground passageway. This is where it gets interesting, if you're still with me. Because Herod is going to, there's going to be two lintels, not two lintels, two stones to walk through, and it's going to be underground, it's going to have a stairway, there's going to be underground chambers here that are going to get covered up. Uh, and it goes through, and I, I, it, it tells you here, uh, it, it was used exclusively by the temple priests who had become impure. So there was a water source down here at this time. And there was, there was a stairway leading down to that water source. And that's where the priests rebuilt this gate. But there was, according to the, 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 the Mishnah, they could go down a set of stairs. There was a, a source of water, a, a mikveh, if you would, that they could wash in, become impure. And then they could leave, go out that gate, and go down there and be underground. Uh, the interior side of the gate has the same level as the sanctif- uh, same level of sanctity as the Temple Mount. Uh, this information comes partly from the Mishnah, and it says in the Mishnah, he, the priest would go out by the winding stair which went under the bira, that would be part of the fortress, and which was lighted by lamps on both sides until he reached the bathing place. Rabbi Eliezer ben Jacob says, he descended by the winding stair which went under the hell and he went out by the toddy gate. So he could go down some stairs and go out this gate. So wherever this gate is at right here, there's going to be a water source and underground chambers where they used to go down and, you know, they'd carve them out. There'd be rooms down there. When Herod expanded the temple court to the north on page 27, this underground passageway, priestly chamber, underground water source, and all the tunnels leading directly to the Toddy Gate or the Sheep Gate would have been covered since the days of Nehemiah. This underground chamber, passageway, and tunnel have been covered into a cistern to store water under the Temple Mount. Even the day is accessed by a, a cistern. Now I'm going to show you these things on page... If you look on page 29 at the bottom, that little diagram, similar to what I've got here, but it's drawn out, you can see the little red square would be right there. If you turn the page, I'm standing on page 30, I'm standing on the Mount of Olives, taking a photograph, kind of like this direction right here, like this. And right here, you can see the Dome of the Rock standing there, the, the gold dome. And then I've got a line. The little white line would be this northern wall right here. Because I'm drawing it from the corner tower. Drawing it across perpendicular. And right there where I've got a little white box, that's where the sheep gate would be about. And you can see the sheep gate on the second picture on page 30. There's a sheep gate right here. And if you go right back here, guess what they've got on the Temple Mount today that's still being used? There's a well. There's a cistern. There's, the people can drop down and get water down here, right there, and that's got it circled. Cistern wellhead. Go to page 31. Now I'm standing right here, at the, looking at the, the stairs that go up here. They can see, you know, part of the uh, stones. Excuse, excuse me. I'm standing right here, looking up this way here. And you can see I've got it, the cistern wellhead is in a square box, and they got a little arrow, the sheep gate. I'm taking a picture right here, and the sheep gate would be right there. And there's another picture of that well on the bottom of page 31. You can see it better. It's been, it's been used for 2,000 years to get water. There's a picture of people getting water out of that well, dipping down into there. Uh, page 32, there's a Dome of the Spirits, which is another story. And there's a picture of the toddy gate and the well right there again. Um, now, with that being said, <laughs> I, had to, I had to figure this out, and I'm sorry. You have to listen. Go back to page 28. Back in the 1800s, uh, Charles Warren, they wanted to investigate. This is a great story, folks. 
wanted to investigate Jerusalem, the English. They wanted, they wanted to check everything out. And so they know they can't just go in there and start tearing the place up because the Muslims won't let them. But one of the things everybody needs in the Middle East is water. So they gave the impression, and they did do it, we're here to help you with water. We're going to do some underground testing and see if we can find more sources of water and make your city more livable. Great. So he's got a green light. As long as he's underground and he's looking for water and trying to tap in, it's like, we don't know what you're doing down there. What are you finding? Well, he was looking for water, but he was also making maps and was digging tunnels. And he would dig tunnels. I mean, this is none of us. I don't think there's any one of us would do this. You dig a shaft down, just big enough to get your body down. Then you look. Lower, lower, and now you're down, and you've got to do most of the stuff like at night, and if it's not night, it's dark. And now it's like, okay, now you're in the hole. Let's go. And then you start tunneling, and, and you start moving the rock out, and now you're halfway under the temple mount, or you're wherever, and you're running into stuff. Okay, wait. And, then, and you're making maps with a candle. So they don't have flashlights. you got candles. And you're under the ground tunneling and making all these. Sometimes you're making progress with the water system, but nothing else. You're making maps of underground Jerusalem. You can still go through the Western Wall tunnels, and I've gone over here, the Western Wall tunnels going along here, and you can still bump into shafts. They'll show you shafts. Uh, Warren came by here with a tunnel. It's amazing stuff. Well, what we have here, and I, I found these online, the digital copy of Warren's 1865 Ordinance, Ordin, Ordinance Survey of Jerusalem. And you can, you, you can look this stuff up. I've got this online as a PDF, so if you go to my website and open up the notebook, you just click on this, it'll take you there. You can type it in if you want to. And it's digital, digital images of the Ordnance Survey of Jerusalem. Now, this first map, you're looking down right here. He's drawn the Dome of the Rock right there, and all the blue lines is what I've put on there. And you can see there's a blue line going across there where the Temple Mountain, and it lines up. And when he gets down there, he finds underground chambers. There's, there's paths going out this way. And he was in there, and taking, not taking pictures, making drawings. There's drawings that he, and he'd take artists down there, they'd draw stuff. And you can, you can see where that is. And I got a better picture on page 29 of the same thing. I just zoomed in on it. So I wanted you to see the big picture. So you can see the east gate on page 28. He's got the east gate drawn on there and a variety of other things. But on page 29, I've got it closer. And you can see clearly the underground cisterns, the underground passageway. And then there's a cistern that's on the surface, like we mentioned right here, that it was, that's functioned, that they're going down and getting water. He went down and saw where they're getting the water from. And that is the passageway leads out to where the toddy gate would be which was probably a corruption of the telegate, which is the sheep gate, which is right there, which is what Nehemiah in chapter 3, verse 1 is talking about. I know it's a long journey, uh, but I think that's, that's kind of cool. We're, in other words, we're not just making stuff up. Okay, does that make sense to you at all? Now, we're going to eventually, I'll, I'll show you, since we're talking about Warren, I'm going to see if I can find this quickly. Oh, go to... We, not, we can't talk about it tonight, but we're going to mention Go to page 53. Remember I talked about there's this wall that's gone, used to go out and around like this, and turned right here. Um, and you can see it on your, on your maps. And it would meet, the, the, right here, it would meet this corner tower. Uh, he was, Warren was there, and he went down, and you see the yellow right there on this page? The yellow right here. He tunneled down and started tunneling towards the wall. He tunneled down here and was tunneling towards this eastern wall. But he got to right here, and he hit a wall. A barrier, the remains of a wall that's underground. He hit this wall right here. And so then he's tunneled. Once he hit it, you can see where he goes with the red line. He goes this way for 55 feet. And as he went this way for 55 feet, he went this way and started to curve towards 
what we know as the corner tower. He goes, this wall, I hit it, it started, started curving. So then I came back and tunneled this way, and it was straight. And then he came back out and wrote it down. What kind of people are these? I mean, this is like crazy stuff. But he found this wall, found out that it curves, and that's what you see right here. I've redrawn it. And then it, he says he was 41 feet below ground, and you can see the corner tower. Right there where I've got the corner tower drawn, you can see, even from that picture, you can see uh, that the bottom of the wall, the stones look a little different. I, I've got better pick. I was standing right up there. But if you could see down lower, you can actually see the, the better stone. But those are the stones of this corner tower right here by the eastern gate. And you can see those, those stones today. Uh, I drew in there also the eastern gate that's below today's eastern gate. And a guy, James Fleming, in 1969, going to Jerusalem University, uh, was out and was taking pictures of the stones, trying to find things out, and it had been raining, and he fell into a hole. Right there. See all those graves? You see, those are all graves. Some it's for religious purposes. Uh, I'm on page 53. Some of those, all on, on, out there, you, you can't walk up there. I did, and I got in trouble. I walked up and had a, was looking at some stones further down south where the, where the seam's at in the wall. And all of a sudden, I had, had like officials up there wanting to see my papers. And I went, oh, they want to see my archaeological papers. <laughs> and I don't have any archaeological papers. And so I act like I didn't know what I was thought. I act like an American. I, 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 don't, I don't know, understand. I'm just looking for a Burger King, you know. And uh, they thought, okay, this guy's an idiot. They go, you can't be up there. They can't be. Yeah, they were Israeli. Yeah, yeah, they were, because they were, they got to do their job. They got to protect the place. You can't just have Americans wandering around Muslim graveyards, touching walls. But anyway, nonetheless, James Fleming did the same thing. Well, not the same thing. He did something cooler. He was doing the same thing, but he was on those graves, and it had been raining, and he fell down into the hole. And he had his camera with him, and he took a couple pictures, and you've got two of those pictures that had become legendary that he took in the hole. He went back later, and someone had already, I mean, the next morning, the next day, he went and told everybody, he said, hey, we, I found the eastern gate. And by that time, they, they'd covered it up. And today, it's, it's concreted over. You can't, you can't just go in there and, and dig it. But anyway, he got two pictures. And what you can see on those pictures, you can see it right here, what I've got right here. That's the arch of the gate underneath. See, I've got a little red circle there. That's the arch underneath there. That would have been the gate. If Jesus came in on Palm Sunday in the eastern gate, that's the gate he would have came in. Not this gate. This gate was built in the 1500s. And again, it's the eastern gate, and everybody talks about it, but there's an actual first century gate underneath here. It's like, well, that's, 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 are you sure? Yes, because the Damascus gate is just like it. There's a 1500, and then they excavated down, and we can see it. I've walked and took pictures of it. You can touch it. It's the east, or it was the northern Damascus gate. There's a gate underneath here, and there's two pictures, and you see all the bones. There's just a bunch of bones in that, in there. And so you can, you can do your own research, James Fleming, and look that up yourself. But anyway, that is... Uh, part of Warren finding that, James Fleming finding that. He was just a student taking pictures one night and fell into a tomb. All right. We're going back. The Toddy Gate. So that was all that's about the Toddy Gate. Turn the page I'm looking for. Page 34. The text then goes on and says, I'm, I'm going to hold page 34, go back to chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading chapter 3, verse 1, while you're holding your place on page 34 of the notebook. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it because it was used to bring the sheep in, and it was, that's where it was as holy. The Mishnah says it was as holy as the surface of the temple because the priests would go down there and bathe. And so they they, they sanctify. It's the only gate that gets sanctified. The priests don't run around and put blood and oil and pray over all the gates. They're going to have the big ceremony. But this is the only gate the priests build themselves and they consecrate it because it's the sheep gate. They use it. They bathe in it. They take sheep in and out in it. Uh, they consecrate it and set its doors and the doors would be wooden. They're going to have stone, but then they're going to have wooden swinging doors 
Uh, they're going to have to be attached with bolts and things to the stone framework. And then there's going to be some kind of a bar that comes down and locks it. Now, that, again, that had been totally, this was not rebuilt. Not, not, this was not like they're just fixing it up like a remodel. This northern side is totally gone. That's why they're doing, they didn't build a large portion of the wall. They built a gate. Someone else is going to build another little portion of the wall. This is, one, it's, it's, it's their fortress for an invasion, but everything's got to be rebuilt. The Babylonians destroyed this. Down here, we get further down, it's, it's probably, they're just rebuilding some stones and building it up. Okay. They consecrated and set its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred, or you can see right here, the Tower of Mia, or Meh. And that means hundred. We'll talk about that. And as far as the Tower of Hananiel, and that is right here, the old Fort Antonia, before Antonia was further north, that was uh, a fortress. Okay, I'm on page 34. The Tower of Meh, or Mia. Mia means hundred. That's all we know. It's the Tower of Hundred. And I've got written down at the bottom of that page, 34. It is not known what the hundred refer to, but it might be referring to the height of the tower. It's a hundred cubits. The number of completeness, it's the hundred. It's done, a hundred, hundred percent. The number of stairs, it takes you a hundred stairs to get to the top. Uh, but probably this is the best one. The military unit mentioned Deuteronomy 115 as commanders of hundreds. There would have been a, a, a crack group of soldiers stationed there, and the commander was in charge of the hundred. Where are you stationed? In the north wall. Whoa. It's the Navy SEALs. I mean, these guys are the hundred. Every, there's many divisions of a hundred, but this is the hundred there on the north wall of Jerusalem. So it's probably referring from Deuteronomy 115. They were commanders of groups, and there was a divisions of 100. So that's probably what it refers to, especially being in this military setting right here. Notice that's interesting. Right here, you've got the sheep gate. They're bringing sheep in and out for sacrifice, and the priests are working here. Right beside it, you've got, well, the whole wall. It's, it's, it's the military support of the, of the city. Um, I go back to the first paragraph, the second line. The main function of the north wall was fortification to defend the most likely direction the city would be attacked. The rock of the ridge of the city and Mount Moriah where the temple stood continued to rise to the north of the Temple Mount. So it, it started rising way down here. You'd come up out of Hinnom Valley and you'd rise and rise and rise. Even this is called the Ophel, which means the rising. It's still rising up to the Temple Mount. You've got the rock exposed here. The temple's built on the rock, or the dome of the rock is now on where the, all, the Ark of the Covenant sat. Then it comes up right here, and then it continues to rise up here to the north, and this would be the highest spot, and then it even rose outside the city. Um, the Babylonians, 588-86, and the Romans in 68-70, both set their siege towers up on this north wall and laid siege to the city. The other three directions were protected. You know that. The Kidron Central and the Hinnom Valley, were all, you couldn't attack it. Uh, and there's that reference, Deuteronomy 115. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribe. So that's probably what the Tower of Meh means. It's, it's the Tower of a Hundred, and I'm going to guess it means, instead of a hundred steps, it means a division of a hundred soldiers. Now, the Tower of Hanil, Hananiel. If you don't mind, here we go. The Tower of Hananiel is mentioned in a couple of other places in the Old Testament. It is referred to as the northern extremity of the city of Jerusalem in Zechariah 14.10 and Jeremiah 31.38. Jeremiah 31.38 is written before 586, before the destruction where it was torn down. Zechariah 14.10 is written after or during the time the temple is being restored, you know, like 538 to 516. During that time period, he's writing. But in chapter 14, notice what chapter 14 is about. That is an eschatological chapter. That's the chapter the Lord will descend on the Mount of Olives. And it talks about the topography being changed upon the Lord's return. So you've got is Jeremiah referring to the Tower of Hananiel before the Babylonian destruction? You've got Zechariah referring to it after their return, but in reference to time that hasn't even happened yet. It's still future for us. Here's what it says. 
Zechariah 14, verse 8 through 10. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. Probably from the Temple Mount area here. But that's not surprising. There's water sources all around. Half of the water of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be one and His name one. Watch this. The whole land shall be turned into a plain. Now, if you're going to read this literally, what is going to happen is this is a ridge, for example. This ridge rises up like this and it goes to Kidron Valley, Central Valley. You've got the hill country of Judea. But in this time right here, the whole land becomes, it just collapses. It goes flat. The whole land becomes a, a plain from Geba to Rimmon. And since it's like, what does that mean? Well, there's a map right there. Uh, Rimmon is down here. It's, it's, it would be right down here, coming across the Dead Sea, right about here. It's, way, it's down here in the Negev. Southern from here, Rimmon, or, uh, yeah, Rimmon up to Geba, which is Geba is just like about two miles north of Jerusalem. So from two miles north of Jerusalem all the way down into the Negev, it's going to collapse. It's going to be flat. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from... So it's all going to collapse around. But this, the mountain of the Lord, is going to stay a mountain. Everything else is going to collapse around it. It's going to stay a mountain from, from the gate of Benjamin to the gate of the former gate, or to, to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel to the king's winepress. So right here, what we've got on this map, Zechariah 14.10, is the sheep gate is called the Benjamin gate here because Benjamin is the, the, the tribe right here. You leave and go up here, just like the Damascus gate is in the northern wall because you go there and you go to Damascus. We're going to find out this is called the fish gate because the fish come from the, the Mediterranean Sea. So the Benjamin gate would probably be uh, where the, that's at. The first gate is uh, the, the prison gate. The corner gate is the corner gate. And then the tower of Haniel. And it, it's gonna, it just refers to it at that point right there. Uh, turn the page and you can see... More detail on page 36. The royal wine press is most likely down here. Going back to this, if you don't mind. The royal wine press is down here where the king's garden, the king's pool is. So from the royal press all the way up to the corner tower, from the tower of Haniel, all the way across there, it's all going to be protected. So Zechariah 14 is referring to that. Um, okay, page 37. Um, I refer to this. I'm standing on this time. Well, I'm standing right here. On that top picture, there's a platform that's been built up by the Muslims that you step up to onto right there. But right there in, on the, the base of the stairs are the stones of, uh, of Solomon's wall, the retaining wall. Those stones are right there. They're the, first, the beginning of the stairway that goes up, and much could be said about that. But the location of the Tower of Haniel from right here is that arrow going this direction. Right here is where that tower is, right there. And uh, that's where uh, just to the north of the stairway leading up to the Muslim platform is the northwestern corner is bedrock cuts. You can see, and I didn't see it. I wish I didn't know about it. But you can go up here and find in the, in the bedrock, unless they got it covered up. You can see cuts from this tower where the, the, the tower itself because they, 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 it's not the tower is going to go down to the ground because it's built on bedrock. So you're, you're, if they put stones there, they had to put them on the rock. And when they got drug away, the stones are gone, but the bedrock is still it's the earth. And, but there's still cuts in it. Just like you can see cuts in the, inside the Dome of the Rock where the Ark of the Covenant used to sit, there's cuts in the bedrock up here where this tower used to sit. Now, interesting, if you don't mind, bottom of page 37... If we continued and it continues to rise, I said Fort Antonia is built on the bedrock today, or Herod built Fort Antonia on the bedrock. That is the base of that bedrock. Now, on that picture at the bottom of page 37, I'm standing, oh, I almost wrote on my map. I'm standing right here looking this way, and I can, I can see rocks still coming out of 
Mount Moriah. That's the bedrock. You can see the layers right there. There's some brick and stone on there too. But Fort Antonius would be right on top of that rock. And that's where, when Paul was arrested on the Temple Mount in Acts, he had to go up, they had, came out of Fort Antonius, they came down, and he had to go up a large set of steps and ask if he could address the crowd. And so the Romans gave him permission to talk to the crowd from Fort Antonia. And then he said something about seeing an angel and, and you know, coming back from the, I'm not sure what he said. But they got, they got, the crowd went crazy and they drug him in. They're getting ready to beat him and he pulled out his citizenship card. But that all took place right there, up there on Fort Antonia. Okay, that is, well, you can see I didn't get through chapter 3, verses 1 through 32. I was going to get through chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. I got through chapter 3. Verse 1. And so, we've got, at this pace, we've got 31 weeks to go. Uh, bring your notes back next time. Uh, but anyway, that, that's kind of, I mean, that still was an introduction on, on what we're going to be doing. And uh, it's kind of interesting, when you, I think, when you see all those things tying together, you know. I mean, you can go there and look at it today. And th- these stones, we're going to look more at these corners. When you get around here, we'll talk more about these cornerstones, the, you know, the, the foundation stones there. But you can still see this. So the book of Nehemiah is not like in, it's not in the distant past that's ghostly and no one knows about it. There's many of these things you can still make contact with. And then you can see him talking about it in the Old Testament before Nehemiah's time. See him talking about it after Nehemiah's time. You can see the sheep gate just got moved further north. John talks about the sheep gate, the pool of Bethesda. It just all just keeps tying together. In fact, when Jesus comes back, this there's still going to be, they're still talking about the Tower of Hanil and all these locations. It's still going to be in some, it's still relative in some way. So I enjoy that. I hope it made sense to you and, you know, I appreciate you being here. I'm going to pray and uh, we're ready to go. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for the history and the archaeology and the recordings that you've provided for us, the hope that you've proven yourself to be faithful to the Jews, bringing them back from Babylonian captivity after having warned them that it was coming but also the fact that there's a future for them and the things that you did in Nehemiah's time are going to be small compared to the things that you're going to do in the future. We ask that we would again remain faithful, serve you, and do the things you've called us to at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for being here.